0: you're tuned in to episode 29 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast where a group of lifelong gamers get together to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined as always by my ever-present co-host and antagonist, Mr. Andy Brown. I have a voice this week, so I'm here to talk smack on Pete's opinions. Yep. And uh, we've also got the Guildmaster himself, Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. And but wait, there's more! For the first time ever, as a full time member of the Pals family, let's give it up for the esports dynamo, Miss Peggy Ford.
1: Hey! Hello, hello, hello. hello. I'm back. Forever.
0: Yup, that's right, Pals. So now you guys can look forward to hearing Peggy every week on the Video Game Pals. She's going to be our new fifth chair, as well as a ton of brand new content that we're not ready to discuss quite yet, but we do have uh, a little special featuring her and Sean, all about, um, you know, all, all the current goings-on in the esports scene that should be up either right now or in, you know, probably a couple hours. So keep your eyes peeled for that. We do have a little bit of bad news, though, to bring Peggy on as a full-time pal. I did have to perform a blood ritual that cost Thompson's life, so he will no longer be on the show. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're thinking that hopefully we can collect the seven Dragon Balls by next week and wish Thompson back from the dead— Uh, Otherwise, let us know if you're willing to trade your soul for his so we can get him back. He's been sent to the Shadow Realm. Um, (laughs) We need to defeat an effeminate billionaire at a children's card game. So if anybody has some really sweet decks that they could lend us or wants to help us out, let us know in the comments below. Um, You guys can also email us at thevideogamepals at gmail.com to hear your thoughts right on the air, uh, or to offer your help in securing Thompson's soul. You can also follow our sister show at The Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold, to stay up to to date on everything we've got going on here at The Pals Network. Excuse me. Um, If you're an audio listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you guys could give us a like on your current platform uh, or jump over to iTunes, where we're currently a five-star rated podcast, and do us a rating. Even if you don't listen over there, those are a a huge help in getting the show recognized by new listeners. So um, we'd greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. Uh, and if you guys are on YouTube, you can do us a solid and like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and uh, check out Pals Play, Monday through Friday. Me and Thompson, um, you know, I thankfully we have a bunch of them banked, so even though he's dead, the show will go on for a couple months. Um, so you can check that out. We uh, we just started uh, Super Mario Odyssey last week, so we should be having our second second video up of that by now as well today, so you guys can check that out as well. Um, we greatly appreciate it. And, you know, last but not least, the best thing you guys can do if you really want to help out the show is to just share it with your pals. Let them know that you're into it, and uh, hopefully they'll come check it out and have a good time with us as well. So we've got a really fun show ahead of us, but before we do that, uh, we're going to start the show the way we always do by talking about what we're playing. But really, it's going to be Peggy talking about her trip to BlizzCon last week. So how the hell was that?
1: Uh, First off, get jealous. And secondly, (laughs) it was so much fun. It was so good. Um... So, if anyone doesn't know, quick refresher: uh, I am a freelance journalist, but uh, I have bylines and Ghost of Gamers and Winston's Lab. In Winston's Lab, uh, one of the guys over there, uh, let me go to uh, go to BlizzCon, so that was really fun. And so uh, I got to hang out in the uh, in the audience for both days. Um, it was myself and shoutouts to Sabriel from Over.gg. Uh, no Overbuff shit. out to Sabriel from Overbuff. <laughs> uh, to- yeah, Pete, help me out on that one. But uh, but yeah, uh, we hung out in the in the arena all all weekend uh, to watch the Overwatch World Cup, and it was so much fun, so much fun. Um, uh, the first day I was literally right next to the like the alleyway where all the players came in. Now, so if you saw someone in like a green jacket and a Overwatch snapback taking uh taking photos, that was me. How's it going? Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, what up? Yeah, right. That's only the first day, though, for the record. Anyway, but um, the games were absolutely fantastic. Uh, SK versus uh, US was probably the most action packed and by far like the most nail biting. Um, but yeah, the entire thing was really cool. Um, I got to walk around a little bit, and I gotta say, Hearthstone has the best aesthetic when it comes to tournaments. It was absolutely amazing. It was off on a separate separate area of BlizzCon. And they had tables and actually look like a tavern and then like if you're walking towards the stage to the right hand side there was an actual like tavern there that they made up in like a corner and it had live music and it had like a whole bunch of couches that people can just hang out it had a bar and it had like charging equipment and all that jazz and like it was just a lot of fun like hearthstone hands down had the best aesthetic out of anything at blizzcon um that being said a lot of awesome things came out of blizzcon with all the announcements uh shout outs to everyone who likes world of warcraft and their classic servers you're getting that
0: Hey, uh, check out our episode last week with Tyler Olson from the Longbox, where we talked about all the news coming out of BlizzCon. If you haven't already.
1: Word, that was a segue I totally planned, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, I can't wait for next year because it's going to be even cooler.
0: Cool, yeah, it sounds like you had a great time. Um, I know you said that you would hope you would wish you were able to see a little bit more of it because you were like busy, you know, doing your job. Yeah, but, unfortunately,
1: uh, I also just didn't. I didn't have a press pass, but I was able to go for free, um, so that was cool. But, yeah, a, a press pass would have been nice. <laughs> but, uh, so, apparently I mean, it's well, just pretty, a little pretty bit cool journey. On it, so, yeah. <laughs> Either way, it was really awesome. Nice.
0: Awesome. Um, so anybody have any, uh, any new games business they want to discuss before we jump into, uh, our, uh, rotating segment this week? Oh, hell yeah. So, we're recording this circa three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Around one o'clock this morning, I started playing Super Mario Odyssey. Shout out to friend of the show, Mike McMahon hooking me up with that early Christmas present, and oh my god. Oh my god, Mario Odyssey. It's uh, it's something else, man. I've always preferred Zelda's to Mario's as a a whole, but I'm, you know, like six hours in, and I think this might be better than Breath of the Wild for me. Ooh. I, I kind of I kind agree. Yeah, it's, it's going to get up there, and it's definitely going to fight with uh, Persona for my game of the year. But yeah, it's it's in the conversation, which is not a thing I thought I'd say for a platformer.
2: Huh. Yeah, man,
0: I, I'm I'm at the point where my game of the year conversation right now is either Odyssey or Horizon, and no Z- way, yeah, and Zelda taking a hard number three. Um, and that's not a dig at Zelda, but yeah, like I don't know, Odyssey is really special. Um, I, the more I've been thinking about it, I think like. It has this kind of ineffable quality that I feel like you can't really it's like almost hard to quantify what makes it so special but it's just because like it's like really like a modern version of a kind of game that's a relic you know and it's all about just gameplay and it doesn't get bogged yep. down in literally anything else um it does for me it does a lot of the things that Zelda does but more like condense and compact yep it's not like a giant open world where like yeah you're exploring and i think oh there's a mountain i should go check that out and then spend 20 minutes figuring out how to get there it's huh that looks interesting better run around here get a better viewpoint and then bam you're in challenge level
1: see i was i'm kind of the opposite because uh i finally got around to like playing most of it, like, on plane rides while I was headed to BlizzCon and all that jazz, and, like, I'm at the dark side of the moon, if anyone knows what that is. So, like, I'm working through through that. Um, and I just, it's a good game, don't get me wrong, and, like, it's really grown on me, but I don't think it beats Breath of the Wild. I actually like that I'm gonna take 20 minutes to figure out how the hell to get to that mountain, that sort of thing. Like, that Skyrim feel that I feel like has been missing yeah. since, you know, since I finished Skyrim. Um, but, like, Odyssey's really fun, and the controls grew on me, and, like, how you can, um, how you can really, like, the speedrun sort of feel to it is a lot of fun, but, like, I would still go with Breath of the Wild. I don't, I don't think Odyssey's gonna be in my top four, to be honest. Like, of, of the year.
0: That hurts. hurts I, that's just, I, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's the kind of thing of just, like, there are so many kinds of taste for games these days that like Mm -hmm. any game that's a game of the year contender i'm not surprised if if it doesn't speak to some people right so like i i can't imagine feeling that way but i understand why you could um i agree with what you're saying about zelda like i definitely think that is what that game does at its best but i Mm -hmm. feel like that plateaus once you explore the map you know once you've discovered like once you've filled out all the pyres and everything, I feel like, you know, 20, 30 hours in, you start, not because it's the fault of the game, but, like, there aren't as many of those moments anymore. And then it comes down to just playing the game. And I think that, like, Mario on a fundamental level is just more satisfying to play. Um, Because I think, like, the amount of control you have over the way that, like, Mario moves and, like, the amount of creativity that there is in, like, the level design Mm -hmm. um, just really... it asks you to explore in a different way
1: yeah but like the most grinding that i've ever felt in either game was getting that 250 uh moon getting the 250 moons to get to the dark side of the of the Mm. of the moon you get it but yeah like that's that was that was my big like turn off up for it because just so it was just like okay now you just gotta keep it was like grinding levels and i just don't want to do that
0: it, and it's, like, it's funny to me because, like, I already had 250 moons before that.
1: God damn it. Like, just not. because
0: I was playing the game, like, you know, and looking for all the secrets and everything. You know, like, I had a hundred and something moons before I even got past uh, New Donk. Really? I am, I just finished, like, the third world. Um, I went to the forest world before Lake World. Okay. And I have, like, 75 right now. Yeah, that's how I was playing. By the time I got to the fourth world, I was pushing 100 already. Yeah, it's just like, um, you know, futzing around with it. Fair enough. And yeah, it's like, if it doesn't, if it's not speaking to you in that same way. Yeah, if that's not speaking to you, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I don't, like, begrudge you preferring Zelda. Zelda's an excellent game. And TBH, Mario's probably, like, gunning for that 2017, 2017 silver medal for me. But This is a hell of a year for video games. That it is. Dude, (laughs) yeah, that it is. And, like, it's just crazy to me that, like, for me, the game of the year conversation's been wrapped up for so long of it that, like, Mario came in at the end of it. And I was, like, I knew Mario was coming out, but I never – it was kind of a dark horse for me in terms of, like, it being my game of the year, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, fuck. Like, I'm so into it. It didn't matter what came out. After I played Persona 5, it's like, that's everything I've ever wanted from a JRPG, and that's my favorite genre, so. Anyway, uh, we'll talk more about this uh, in the weeks to come, I'm sure, when we do our Game of the Year episode, but. um, Oh, that's soon, isn't it? It's coming up, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, It is. Wow, it's the
0: middle of November. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And um, yeah, let us let us know, guys, like what your Game of the Year picks are so far in the comments or email us at thevideogamepals at gmail.com or hit us up at thecomicspals on, you know, Twitter or whatever. Um, yeah, let us know. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk about them on the air because I'm sure some of you guys have hit some of the best games of the year that we never got around to. So if you think that there's any games we should try to get played before we get to our thing or any that you want to see considered or whatever, um, yeah, let us, let us know. We'd definitely love to hear from you. Uh, so, I think that means it's time for the Random Question of the Week! Oh, damn. It's been a while since we did one of these. So, this one comes from Mr. Sean Bartley. You want to introduce it?
2: Sure. So, E-League for and Justice 2 just wrapped up Yay. Uh, this past Friday. And near the end, before the Grand Finals uh, games began... We got treated to a sneak peek, the trailer, for uh, Injustice 2 Fighter Pack 3. And we saw uh, the Atom, who we had already been introduced to before. Uh, We learned Enchantress will be one of the characters who she was heavily speculated to be in this game. And then we saw, of course, none other than the Ninja Turtles.
0: Hell yeah, we did.
2: Yes, and so that led me to this question. Which is, what character, what, you know, what character who is not an NRS character would you like to see hit in Justice 2? But keep it to characters that could reasonably be in the game, so don't say like Superman, but like outside of, you know, a, a, a character that's licensed by like Marvel or DC, who would you like to see in the
0: game? And like, you, uh, just to clarify, when you say NRS, you mean uh, Netherrealm, so not a Mortal Kombat character.
2: Right. Uh, I mean, it could be a Mortal Kombat character. Didn't you say you didn't want us to do that? Wait, I don't even. Just <laughs> tell me what you
0: want. Like whatever. Just tell me what you want. Look, I to don't care. Game. Who
1: do you want in the game? <laughs>
2: um,
0: mm, it's tricky, Um. I'm gonna go out on a limb. We said no Marvel, right? Yeah. But maybe. Let's say DC wants to branch out, and they're diversifying, and they want to build that relationship with Image Comics, and reaching out to Image Comics, and Image Comics, you know, Wonderkin, Robert Kirkman, we get Rick Grimes in Injustice 2.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This makes me feel so much better about my choice. Why? (laughs) Why?
0: That would be hilarious, especially if it was, like, Comics Rick, and he, like, is missing a hand and everything. Yeah, Comics (laughs) Rick with, like, an eye patch, one hand.
1: No, when your first, uh, when your first health bar goes down, that's when he turns into that one. (laughs) Just (laughs) He loses his hand.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. That'd be brutal. Um... Well, funny enough, um, my pick is pretty similar, actually. I'd like to see uh, Robert Kirkman's actual superhero property that makes sense in this game, Invincible. It's my favorite superhero comic. Um, you know, I, I think a pick from Image would be really cool. I know there's been the rumor that it was going to be Spawn, but, and you know, I think that would probably make more sense, right? Like, Spawn has more name recognition. But uh, I love Invincible, and if, you know, we're talking about wish list stuff here, I would love to see him represented in any video game. You know, I think... The reality of him getting his own is is probably slim none. Um, But I feel like, you know, he could be right at home here. And, um, you know, I think the main challenge would be, like, what his moveset would be. Just because I feel like there are a lot of other DC characters that are, like, kind of similar. So, you know, that might be a problem. But whatever, I'm not a game designer. I'm here to pitch things I want to see. Yeah, hey. (laughs) I definitely like that one. I thought about it, too. But I I went Rick because of the, like, there's, like, Invincible's basically Superman power-wise. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, pretty much. Like, just with, like, less powers. You know? It's like, yeah. he doesn't have, like, like... Superboy Prime. Yeah. He doesn't have, like, <laughs> heat, vision, and ice, breath, and shit, you know? It's like, he's just yeah. basically invulnerable and can fly and is super strong. And so, like... I thought that might feel a little redundant, and I just thought like Rick would feel so fresh. (laughs) I mean, I feel like he'd be a great substitute instead of John (laughs) Constantine—just regular ass dude fighting, you know, gods. Uh, Isn't that Batman? Yeah, he's rich. Batman's Batman's power is money. Yeah, fair. Rick's power is being morally correct. (laughs) (laughs) Rick's power is always having someone else around to tell the other people that he needs to be in charge, damn it. Basically.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, so, follow me on this, and I swear it makes some sense. But, imagine in a world where DC uh, television series don't go well. (laughs) Haha, CW. So, for those to promote, hang on, (laughs) to promote the television series... They bring another fighter into Injustice 2, and her name is Alex Danvers. Anyone who does not know who that is, it is Kara's sister in the TV show. That being said, the kick-ass person in the entire series, and that includes all three other ones, fight me on it. So, when it comes to, she'd be a lot more utility, and Uh I think she would be able to use the DEO's tech to her advantage, like, one of her biggest, uh, one, of her, one of her main weapons is an alien gun, after all. So if she can do that, she can pretty much... Uh, and she also had a kryptonite suit for quite a bit, actually. And she was able to actually use it outside of being brainwashed to fight her sister. That's a different story. But I do think if you can get, like, Danver, Alex shows up after, like, tinkering with some sort of that she probably shouldn't be doing. And then they're like, hey, cool, fight. She's like, okay. So she manages to get all the tech. Like, she uh, she utilizes DEO tech to fight other people. I think it would be very interesting. Plus, I just want to see Kyler Lee and more stuff. So.
0: Yes. All right. Yeah. I I was like, I was like, that's a really weird pick, and then you explained it, and I was like, no, all right, yeah, Yeah. like that could totally work. It could be like, um, like
1: a tech-based superhero. That's happened before, and it can happen again.
0: I mean, like Lex Luthor had a set like that in the first game, where he had like the mech suit and everything. So I feel like you could totally make that work. Yeah. What about you, Guildmaster?
2: (laughs) (laughs) My answer is kind of lame, as this character was heavily speculated to be. Uh, who the ten- the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ended up being. Uh, but I really, really want to see Rorschach um, mm-hmm. with with uh, Doomsday Clock coming out and the focus kind of being on the Watchmen right now. HBO got has the Watchmen show in development. Uh, I think the timing is perfect to put a character from that series into Injustice. And I think Rorschach obviously being kind of the figurehead of the Watchmen franchise, it would make amazing, it would make an amazing move to put him into this game. I'd
0: love it. Yeah, that. no, I think that's a good pick, though. I mean, like, yeah. it, it totally makes sense. And I feel like of any of the things that we put forward, it's the only one that's actually, like, <coughs> could happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> could I put forward a more realistic one now that I've thought a little more? <laughs> and we're talking about it? For it. Sure. Do yeah. It. I really want to see Bizarro and Justice too. He's already in it. Is he? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> How did I miss he, that? He's
2: an alternate costume for Superman. Oh. but with unique voice.
0: Oh, I want to see him.
2: Everything. I want to <laughs> see him as a real character, dude. I he is a real character. Those <laughs> uh, he's got he's those cool. alternate skins are dope. Yeah, it's not like a regular alternate skin. It's like this unique voice actor. His moves look unique and everything. Well, he has the same moves, but like they they're they're different in terms of appearance. Like his laser beam is is blue or Superman's red you know like that that's cool
1: yeah
0: alright good enough
2: <laughs> <laughs> good
0: enough I just love Bizarro he's the best fair um, he, so, number <laughs> he number one he uh, number one so yeah guys remember you guys can write in with your own uh, you know random questions if you'd like hear them right on the air um, video game the video game pals at gmail.com do it up so I guess that means it's time for the news the news we talking about the news the news! The news! we about the news! Alright, so we've got, um, well, we had six items on the list, but we kind of talked about the whole Injustice 2 business, so, uh, we got five items on the news list this week.
1: No, we still have six! We still have six! Hang on! Wait, wait, wait! What? Okay. Oh no! What's going on? <laughs> I'm gonna hijack this for five seconds, really quick. Uh, um, oh, I did.
0: It seems we have a breaking esports report. <laughs> uh,
1: so, really quick. Just wanted to give a shout out to uh, the guys over at Overwatch, like the Overwatch community, um, for the for the Hulk Tastic Cup. Um, for anyone who does not know, uh, I'm sorry to uh, to inform you that uh, Dennis Huelka, Dennis Huelka, um, who's also known as Internet Hulk, uh, he was a support player for Team MBS, and he coached Team Liquid's uh, Overwatch team, and I believe he was kind of in talks for League of Legends, but either way, um, he sadly passed away, um, last week, uh, very unexpectedly, uh, hit the Overwatch community very hard, um, but in response, the Overwatch community bounced back by, uh, by creating the Hulk-tastic cup, which was in memory of him, um, as well as putting a GoFundMe together for, for his family, um, and as of right now, they raised 8,986 pounds I don't know how much that is in in U.S. dollars, but I think it's like over over ten thousand. I think, so um, yeah. I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to to those guys. Um, congratulations to Arc Six for winning the Hulk Tastic Cup. Um, and just a quick word about Hulk that he was just an amazing player, amazing coach, amazing personality in the Overwatch community, um, and he will absolutely be
0: missed. That's really tragic to hear. I mean, I remember you said he, he was, was only
1: 30. 30, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's really a shame. He um, was
1: only 30. He started up a lot of, like, NVS has been one of the strongest teams in Overwatch, and they won Apex Season 1. And, uh, just, just such a shame and really tragic that he won't be able to see what he definitely helped build. Um, and, like, raise and nurture, he won't get to see the Overwatch League, which kind of is the the crowning achievement for, for Overwatch right now. So, it is very sad, and uh, once again, our condolences to anyone affected and to the Overwatch community. As myself, I am part of that community. It's just really, really sad. Um, but... We're bouncing back from it as best we can and the Hulk Tastic Cup was such a success. Um, including Blizzard got in on it as well. If anyone had logged into the PTR during that time, you would have seen in the yellow text, so like the the like system test text, uh in loving memory, hashtag Hulk Tastic, which was which was really cool to see. Uh so thank you to Blizzard for that. Hopefully we get to see like a Hulk Award, something like that, or at least something to, to commemorate his memory in game or in the Overwatch League or something, but uh but that has not been announced and nothing's official, so uh, hopefully we get to see that and just, you know, we just wanted to give a shout out to them.
0: Yeah, it's obviously, um, obviously a really sad story and yeah, like you said, our, our thoughts and, you know, um, that kind of stuff are, are with his loved ones or are obviously the ones who are going to be reeling from this the most.
1: Yep. If you did want to donate, by the way, it's gofundme.com slash Hult- hulk Task hulk Stick. can't spell,
0: <laughs> or speak. We'll have that, uh, we'll have that in the description down below as well. You guys can yep. click through and, uh, and, you know, give your donations. We would greatly appreciate it. Alright, so now let's, uh, we'll, we'll move over to some Nintendo news this week um, which as of last Thursday Hulu is officially the first video on-demand service to come to the platform which uh, likely it. means we'll be seeing Yay. more soon I would imagine. Um, yeah, so this is great news. This is something that we've kind of been chastising Nintendo for um, since the release of the Switch more or less. And um... Yeah, I think we we myself specifically had theorized that you know we'd probably start seeing them come when we saw internet get you know um, start to become a paid service for Nintendo. But the fact that they pushed that back uh, kind of threw that timeline into question for me. So to see this finally happen um, is great. You know, it's it's obviously super convenient. Uh, I thought it was weird that it was Hulu first, honestly, like before Netflix, who Nintendo's had a much longer relationship with, and uh, or even like. YouTube or something like that, that's, like, you know, a more, like, a free platform that I think would probably speak to a majority of their user base. Hulu's star is rising, man. That's very true. Um, yeah, Hulu's star is rising. Netflix is, you know, still a titan of the internet. It's, like, the titan of the streaming television industry, but... They're starting to have their relationships with um, networks and creators break down, and Hulu's capitalizing on that. That's a different story <laughs> for a different podcast that we don't have. But yeah. yeah,
2: let's let let's uh let's not try to analyze Nintendo's moves. This is as weird as anything else they do. There's no logic. It's just Nintendo. The fact that you would have Hulu over YouTube is insane. But that's what Nintendo does. Fair point. I love it. I I'm I, mean, I, I mean hey yeah, I'm watching for forever. For the people who like Hulu, this is just fine. There's nothing wrong with it.
1: All five people, but, yes.
2: Hey. <laughs> there are literally YouTube dozens has, of us. <laughs> YouTube has how many more people use YouTube than Hulu? Everybody that uses Hulu uses YouTube.
0: You know, yeah. that everyone uses YouTube. You know, like especially yeah. kids, which are a huge part of their market. So Hulu is, like the number
2: four, I think, um, f- app you would be looking for, for yeah. to have
0: on here. what
1: yeah, Netflix, YouTube, Twitch,
0: YouTube, Netflix, and Twitch. Yeah, uh, I would say I would say Hulu probably edges out Twitch. I think I because I feel like I, like, for, I feel like for Twitch Nintendo, on, yes, and especially on consoles. Like I don't feel like well, smash. Okay, okay fine, whatever. <laughs> we're talking the point about is- Nintendo. We're talking about Hulu.
2: That's not a match made in heaven. This is weird, but it's Nintendo.
0: That's it. Yeah, that's 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 basically why I wanted to bring it up. I mean, obviously it's cool, right? Like if you got a Hulu subscription and a Switch, go go download it if you didn't know. Um, but yeah, I would I would imagine Netflix, YouTube, and and uh, and Twitch are probably not far behind.
1: Yeah, they can't be. <laughs> unless or, they are, or, you know, to unless Sean's they part, are. In a-
0: yeah, right, unless they are. Unless yep. it's some weird Nintendo shit, and they don't come out for like six more months. God damn it. So. I can see that.
1: No. Anyway.
0: Uh, so speaking of new software coming to Nintendo Switch, last week we got a 17-minute direct all about the upcoming Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, I was unfortunately not able to watch the stream. Uh, Andy, did you happen to catch it? I didn't, know. Yeah, so um... I, I don't know... I didn't, like, get to see it firsthand, but we did get a press release from Nintendo that recapped all of the Direct's, uh, announcements. So, um, I did get a chance to check that out, and I'm gonna read that to you guys now. Just so we can, you know, catch everybody up on the next big game coming to the Switch. So, Nintendo writes, In just a few weeks... <laughs> In just a few weeks. Good shit. In just a few weeks, Nintendo Switch owners will leave the familiar behind and enter the fantastical world of Alrest. A full, a world full of living lands known as Titans and the fabled paradise of Elysium. To get fans ready for the December first launch of the Xenoblade Chronicles Two game, Nintendo presented a deep dive into the elements of the massive game, including the vast environments, battle systems, and characters. The characters vast, or no? Okay. <laughs> 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 the special Nintendo Direct presentation also revealed an upcoming paid DLC a fun cross-promotion with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, as well as free DLC available to download on launch day that will allow players to also play the game with Japanese, audio, and English subtitles. Which is, you know, if you're a weeb, you're all about that. And he's throwing up the deuces, because he yes he Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> not for every game, but, like, the, the first Xenoblade Chronicles had a pretty awful dub, so I might do that. So, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Sean?
2: I was going to say could you imagine you said that that's free DLC? Could you imagine if that wasn't free? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> that would be the fact that I under- I like I know why you said it that way but like it me- like the fact that you have to say that nowadays that's that's not
0: even like anything. That should just be in there basic. You shouldn't even have to download it. Yeah, it's going it. to need internet to get. There. It's kind of weird that it's not just packaged. But I wonder if that's yeah. a, a a size limitation. Because um, yeah. audio files take up a lot of space and they might have had to like pay more for a bigger cartridge if they put it on. Whereas if it's a free DLC you just download, they're just making you take up system memory. Fair enough. Yeah. Especially because the there's the going to be a lot of fucking audio. Yeah, right. That's what I'm thinking. It's like That's the only explanation that makes any sense to me. Um, I feel like if this was on a fucking Blu-ray, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. <laughs> True. Um, so we did have uh, a quote here in the press release from Doug Bowser, which I love that this guy's name is Doug Bowser. Have you guys heard of Doug Bowser before? He's the senior VP no. of sales and marketing at Nintendo, and his name's actually Doug fucking Bowser. Amazing. <laughs> it was meant to be. It was anyway. totally meant to be. So uh, Doug had this to say about Xenoblade. With Xenoblade Chronicles 2, we are giving fans yet another engaging adventure that can only be found on Nintendo Switch. This sequel is perfect for playing at home or while traveling during the busy holiday season. To, uh, and then we've got a link here if you guys want to go check out the direct itself. Um, they said, here's all the, the meat of it now, though. So Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is the next in the series following the original acclaimed RPG that launched for Wii in 2012. The sequel features new characters and worlds, with an expanded battle system that will still feel familiar to fans of the first game. In Xenoblade Chronicles 2, blades are artificial lifeforms that bond with drivers to lend them their weapons and powers in battle. That's... okay. Main character Rex is a driver, and Pyra is a blade. To help familiarize fans with the main character Rex before the game launches, a new side quest will be available via a free update in the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild game, for both Nintendo Switch and Wii U systems, in which players will be able to obtain a Rex costume starting on November 9th. Okay. <laughs> Super weird. <laughs> sure. But cool.
2: Yeah,
1: why not?
0: Um, and I, yeah, you know, it's like, I feel like that's a, that's, that's a cool idea to do, like, cross-promotion for a less popular game in your most popular game. But, you know, I get it. There's um, already a,
1: a Nintendo Switch shirt in Breath of the Wild, so might as well just keep going.
0: Yeah, right? That's fair. Um... In and out of battle, Blades have a wide vera- or wide array excuse me, of support abilities. While adventuring, these abilities might increase the number of items that can be collected, open up new paths to explore, or initiate other special effects. When players fight alongside their chosen blade, they might trigger effects that protect the driver, strengthen attacks, and so forth. Abilities differ from blade to blade, so selecting different blades adds to the strategy of the game. Blades are just one form of life that players will encounter while journeying on the backs of the mighty titans. In the vast world of Alrest, uh, players will discover both peaceful and aggressive wildlife of all shapes and sizes, sizes wandering among giant plains, winding caverns, frozen kingdoms, scorched earth, and sandy beaches. Trying to sell me on a vacation here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) If if players, (laughs) Xeno
0: Timeshare. (laughs) This is actually just an elaborate timeshare scheme from Nintendo. Uh, If players manage to defeat certain unique beasts, a tombstone will be left behind to commemorate the creature and allow players to relive those battles for additional rewards. That's neat. They should have had that in Final Fantasy XV. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, While traveling the massive world of Alrest, players will run into shining spots called collection points, which give players the opportunity to pick up valuable items or dive under the clouds to salvage hard to find treasures, or special landmarks that players can transport to at any time. Alrest is also teeming with bustling cities. From shopping districts to residential quarters, each Titan has its own unique layout and atmosphere. Fans who want to expand their Epic Adventure can pre-purchase an expansion pass for the game in the Nintendo eShop, beginning today or pre-order it from select retailers shortly at a suggested retail price of $30. It's $29.99. With this pass, players can enjoy DLC as it releases between the launch of the game and fall 2018, starting with quests and support items and eventually including a challenge battle mode where they can face powerful enemies. So it sounds like they're going to be supporting the game for like about a year. Uh, Starting with quests and support items and eventually including a challenge battle mode where they can face powerful enemies. This DLC will include an additional adventure with a new side story set in the world of Elysium. Details about individual elements of the expansion pass will be released in the future. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 will launch exclusively for the Nintendo Switch system on December 1st at a suggested retail price of $59.99. The same day, the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Edition Nintendo Switch Pro Controller will launch at a suggested retail price of $74.99. Launch day will also see the release of the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 Special Edition. The Special Edition includes a game, a beautifully illustrated hardcover book, art with full filled with 200, 220 pages of concept designs and artwork of characters, landscapes, and the objects from the game, a sound selection So many D. pages! <laughs> yeah, and music tracks, special metal case, uh, suggested retail price of ninety nine ninety nine, And then you can also pre purchase the game on the eShop right now, and, um, you can preload it with the, either with the expansion pass or without. So, we will, uh, link to where you guys can do all that stuff if you're interested in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, so Andy, as, as our resident, you know, weeb dude who also owns a Switch, do you have any interest in this game? Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, I put a lot of time into it on the 3DS. Oh, and when they did the re-release? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is definitely more of a spiritual successor than a direct sequel, but I'm okay with that. Cool. And, yeah, I'm, like, I'm pretty excited for it. It's probably gonna be a, like, hey, parents, get me this for Christmas game. Mm-hmm. But- yeah. So you think you'll probably get around to it in 2018? Yeah, like, I'll probably hit it real hard over Winter Break. Right. Yeah, I could see that. It seems like a good game for that. Um, Honestly, I don't really know how I feel about it. You know, it's like Xenoblade's never really been a franchise that I had any investment in. it, like, aesthetically doesn't really seem like my cup of tea. And I kind of want to wait and see how you feel about it. But I have a feeling that when it does come out, if I have the time to play a giant media RPG, I'm probably just gonna try to finish Persona, not this. You that know? would be my recommendation. So that's that's kind of how I feel like I'm just gonna end up missing this one. Um, it's I I respect that. Um I don't know if you have any emotional attachment to the Tales series. A little bit. Um, but it's got it's got a lot of that in it.
2: Okay. Um
0: influential influence wise. Um mm-hmm. Just, like, it starts off as kind of standard anime fantasy with, like, a little bit of a twist and then just goes off the fucking rails by the end of the game. Okay. Which, like, spoiler alerts for an old game, if anyone cares. Because nobody here is going to play Xenoblade Chronicles, right? For the Wii or New 3DS? No, I don't think so. What? No. Alright, so... The the setting in the first Xenoblade Chronicles is these two like dead gods that died fighting each other, the Bionis and the Mechanis, um, the robot god and the bionic or the like. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Organic life god, basically. Okay, biology. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and then, like by the end of the game, you find out that. They were the last human alive and the AI on the International Space Station as the sun blows up. What the fuck? That's crazy. That yep. went
1: from zero to hundred real quick.
0: Yeah, it goes off the rails and it's like um, they, rec- they do something to like create their intelligence and ship it off into space. And then they become the Bionis and the Mechonis and are the gods of this new reality. Super weird. But, like, really good. Huh. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, the story makes no sense in a fun anime way. And, like, the characters are easy to get invested in. Alright, well, I guess I'll see how you feel about this one. If I do play it, I don't think it'll be until 2018. Because I got more than enough on my plate. And there's no oh, way it's yeah. a game of the year contender. So it's like, you know, we'll see. What if it is? Though? That would be insane. If Honestly, I, I I feel like it's a kind of a dumb move to put it out right now. I feel like they should have put it out in January, honestly. Like, they already have <laughs> two of the, like, biggest Game of the Year contenders out and, like, six other really great AAA games on the platform. So any, any closing thoughts on that one? Looks fun. Sounds weird. Yes. <laughs> Sean, are you telling me you're not going to play Xenoblade 2? You're not going to buy a Switch for this game? That's not Smash Bros.
2: The premise of your initial question was false, just in the sense that I don't own this system. But even if I did, I would never <laughs> buy this. <laughs> and that's, that's okay, you know, I'm great for the people for who this is for, but it is certainly not
0: for Sean, me. Sean, sometimes I ask you rhetorical questions just because your answers really make me laugh. I know what you're going to say, but I just want to hear you say it. <laughs> that's what
2: I'm here for. That's, that's why I get paid the big bucks, because I'm not afraid to say that I think
0: something might suck. <laughs> that's true. You're certainly not afraid to say that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, the news isn't all sunshine and rainbows this week, though. Um, as we've learned, Telltale Games has laid off over 25% of its staff in a massive restructuring. Uh, So the news was announced um, from a, you know, there's a press release basically that uh, said that 90 people are going to be affected by the layoffs, and that the decision was made in effort to make the company, quote, more competitive as a developer and publisher of groundbreaking story-driven gaming experiences with an emphasis on high quality in the years ahead. Um, So obviously that's the, you know, there's more to go on here about why they did this and, you know... Um what their what their steps forward are, which I'd like to talk about in a minute, but um, you know, as always, with these kind of layoffs, like you know are you know, I just hope the people that are affected by it, these ninety developers, like you know, uh, land on their feet and and find work soon. I know they're all you know obviously known for working on some pretty successful games, so hopefully that'll translate to uh, getting picked up quickly. I know we've already seen a lot of development studios respond to this with uh, you know career pages and stuff like that, and being like, hey, come apply, you know, we have openings and, you know, hopefully these people will uh, get settled, especially so close to the holidays. That's got to be a really nerve-wracking position to find yourself in. Oh, yeah. You know, because obviously these kind of layoffs are common, but, you know, Telltale, despite making fairly small games, is a much bigger studio than most people think. They have, like, they had yeah, 300 employees. They had 300 people working for them. Yeah. Yeah uh and like over that you know like uh you know not anymore but so a lot of these people like since they have so many projects they shuffle people around they don't fire people as often as a lot of other studios do um because that is sadly a fairly normal part of of the games industry right Is like work ramps up finish a game and then get fired yeah and work ramps up they bring on more help work ramps down you need to downsize you know can't and obviously, there's been efforts I think made in the industry to kind of minimize this as much as possible. You see these things a lot less at bigger, more stable studios um, than we used to. But obviously, this is um, you know this is a pretty serious restructuring to get rid of that like a quarter of your staff um, is obviously yeah, a big shakeup at the company, which I think has been kind of coming for a while. You know, I think. We've heard a lot of stories over the years about how some of the culture at Telltale wasn't great. They had a lot of some of the older leadership leave to go to Ubisoft a while ago. Um, they brought in a new CEO who had previously worked for Zenga, I think, uh, Pete Hawley. and um, he was kind of like, they, like a lot of people were looking at that as like, thank God, like we really need like better leadership here, and this company needs massive restructuring um, because of. You know, not only internal problems, but, like, increasing criticism around their inability to fucking fix their engine, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Telltale for a long time has been feeling like a studio that stretched itself too thin. Um, yeah, and made commitments, like, while they were hot that they're still honoring, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I I really hope these uh, developers affected, you know, find new homes in the industry Um, but for like the sake of telltale, I hope that the scaling back of staff also comes with a, uh, commensurate scaling back of work. Yeah, that's, that seems to be their plan. So we, um, we have a quote here from, from Pete who said, our industry has shifted in a tremendous way over the past few years. The realities of the environment we face moving forward demand we evolve as well, re- reorienting our organization with a focus on delivering fewer, better games with a smaller team. Good. Good. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, that sounds like what they really have needed to do for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and since they also... Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even before that, arguably. You know, I think ever since the year that they blew up with Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us, like, they they've clearly struggled to release products that were as consistently strong as that and not say that they haven't i think you know tales from the borderlands and batman are both like really standout properties uh for them since then but you know i don't think that there's the same conversation around them anymore because i think people are getting sick of it because there are people like don't nod and um you know uh uh supermassive games who are doing these same kinds of games and they don't look janky as fuck and eat your save or whatever You know, and I don't don't think Telltale gets that same pass anymore in the same way that I feel like people have kind of turned that corner for like Bethesda's games where it's like we used to forgive a certain amount of jank and it's like, well, you can't do that anymore. You know, like, like get with the program, fix the engine. And they, they actually, they actually made a comment that I think is specifically talking about that. So they also specifically called out in their press release plans to refocus internal development quote over to more proven technologies that will fast-track innovation in its core products. So that's like a very PR, vague statement about what they're doing, but to me, that sounds like they're finally going to address the criticism about technical per- performance issues with their games, you know? That would be nice. Yeah, yeah. So as as much as this is horrible for these people who, who are being displaced, I think ultimately I'm excited to see what this means for Telltale moving forward because... Um, you know, a few of us, me specifically, are definitely big fans of their games, and I want to see them produce stuff that's on the level of Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us consistently. You know, and if that means one game from them every few years instead of, like, two games from them every other year, it's like, that's that sounds great, because I'm, like, definitely getting burnt out. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I would love to be able to play the stuff they put out, as opposed to, like, oh, they dropped... What they f- did? They finish Batman season one this year, or was it like this time last year? Batman season one, I think, finished this year because they started it at the end of last year. I think. Okay. And then, yeah. season, two and then season two started. Season two started relatively quickly after. Yeah, it was. I think it was like six or eight months later because yeah. it, it like it started like two or three months ago, and they've been pretty okay. tight on the, on the release for it. Um, and then and Guardians, they, got, like, they did all of Guardians, Guardians, and I I bought it and haven't played it at all. You know. So, this sounds like a good move for them. yeah, i I think it will end up being a good move for them. Um, so the uh, the one wrinkle kind of left in this story, which is a little disappointing, is that they've said that the um the restructuring that they're that they're going through is not expected to uh, impact the release of any of the company's previously announced projects. So I, while it's good that they're not gonna have deadlines affected by this, I am kind of. It's a bummer to think that they still have so much to do before they can actually take a beat and do any of the stuff we talked about wanting to see them do, you know? Yeah, true. What do they have, like, still on the table, though? It's just Wolf season two. They have and to finish Batman. Batman and Minecraft, right? Yeah, Batman, Wolf two, the last season of Walking Dead, Minecraft, and. There might be one more episode of Guardians if it's a sixth thing, unless there's another season planned. Yeah, so it's not, like, a ton of things. They theoretically have a second season of Game of Thrones. I don't know if we'll ever see that one. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> everyone hated that game. Yeah, and it didn't It didn't sell super well. Nope.
2: That's a lot of... I mean, it sounds to me like that's a lot of content. Um I mean, that's just the way the gaming industry works, where you're working so far in advance right. on a lot of this stuff that, you know, it's not a big surprise that they sh- they've they got to work through some stuff before it takes effect. But it sounds like you're right in the sense that they were working on way too much. I mean, you just listed a bunch of things. Yeah. Imagine any other developer having that. Like six
0: of- games at once.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's unheard of. No one does that. Right.
0: Yeah, and I, I think um, I think we're just finally seeing uh, Pete Hawley's like, leadership start to take effect, you know, because he's been there for a little while. He's probably been figuring out what's going on and, you know, figuring out how he thinks to right the ship um, because by all accounts, he's been a really positive force there on the company culture and on making the projects run smoother. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward because I think Telltale's a great team. They just really need to I think, fix their bugs and focus their efforts a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, man, I'd love to see them experiment with a new like, original IP. You know? Like, I love seeing universes get the telltale treatment, but I think it'd be really cool to see them do something new. I would love to see them, like, touch some real old gaming IPs like they used to. Like, they made some Salmon Max, they made a Monkey Island sequel... Like, some shit like that would be cool for me. Yeah. And, uh, Not just, like, here's a comic book. Or, right. here's a TV show, I guess. But mostly comic books, because that's, like, their jam. Mm-hmm. It's, There's it's their style properties. works real well for comics properties, too. Oh, yeah. Like, that style they developed for Walking Dead, like, translated to Wolf, you know, like, so well. Yep. But yeah, yeah, I, I-, I wouldn't mind seeing that, too. Uh, a little maybe, like, throwback to their roots. But, um... We'll see. We'll see what this means, right? We'll we'll definitely keep updating you guys as this story develops. Uh, So speaking of shakeups at well-known studios, EA is set to acquire Respawn Entertainment, the team behind the Titanfall series. So EA announced this acquisition in a press release that also confirmed a third game in the series, which is um, surprising, I think. I think a lot of people were thinking Titanfall was done after the kind of lukewarm performance of two. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was critically received really well, and they put it out against Call of Duty... Oh no, not Call of Duty, right? What was it? They put it out the week between Call of Duty and Battlefield. Right, okay, yeah. So they Yeah, it was it was there to throw a block yeah, for to Call, call block. of Duty and like Yeah. Yeah. So um, and it did its job, I guess. Right, yeah. So I guess maybe that's how they're looking at it. Um but anyway, so according to the official announcement, EA is gonna pay $151 million in cash and up to $164 million in long term equity in the form of restricted stock units for respawn. So, um, this is huge news, obviously. Yeah, right. It's a lot of money. Um, but I I wouldn't say this is shocking. I think a lot of people were kind of like surprised by this, but Titan, um, not Titanfall, excuse me. That's their game. Um, Respawn's like exclusively worked with EA. Like the people that made Respawn were at, um, I forget which one it is. I think it was Infinity Ward. It was one of the Call of Duty studios. And then they left and have exclusively been working with EA since. You know, every game they've put out is published by EA. All the games they're working on are being paid for by EA. You know, it, it kind of just seemed like a natural marriage. They're already working together so closely. Yeah, I mean, when I found out about this, um, my first thought was, I thought they already owned Respawn. Yeah, I actually kind of had that thought too. I was like, oh, right. Respawn is independent. <laughs> like, I, I always just think of them as an EA studio. Yep. Um, Yeah, I definitely thought like, oh, it's cool that there's going to be Titanfall 3. Didn't realize that they had to buy the studio to do that. Yeah, and I I mean, it kind of sounds like they didn't need to. It just, it seems like they, you know, it it seems like this was just kind of a natural uh, move for them. You know, like, um, like we said, they're already working on two more games. They have an uh, untitled Star Wars game coming out eventually. And then a VR uh, first-person action game that they're making for uh, Oculus, for EA. So, um, both EA CEO, Andre Wilson, and um, the CEO of Respawn, Vince Sampella had made public statements celebrating the acquisition. But it was, like, obviously very, like, PR statements. Um, What I thought was more interesting was uh, Vince had a, um, I think, a, a more human kind of sounding response that he posted on Respawn's website in kind of an open letter to fans. So He said, while it wasn't necessary, going with EA made a lot of sense. With Titanfall and Star Wars, EA has been a great development partner that supports us and doesn't interfere with our process for making games or studio culture. EA will provide us with more resources, access to new technologies, and expertise that we can tap into that will help us make better games, and Respawn will retain the same creative freedom and culture that we've always had. We've been talking closely with the leadership at EA, and we share their values and vision for the future of being a developer-focused company that puts players first. Cool. I mean, I'll have to go back after we're done recording this and compare that to the BioWare statement when EA bought them, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, like, the leadership at BioWare has talked a lot about that, right? And a lot of the things that EA is blamed for are things that they took responsibility for of not knowing how to, like, manage the resources they were given, yeah, they got like giant EA money and resources and bit off way more than they can chew. Like, but, like multiple times. Yeah. That seems like a thing that could be a danger for Respawn too. I think it could be, but my attitude is that the fact that every game they've made has been with EA, with EA money, makes me think like maybe they're just like a little bit more suited to this and like they said their company culture won't have to change because it's the same person signing the checks. It's just you know the checks always coming. You know, like, I feel like for them specifically and how their relationship already exists, I feel like it, I feel a little more confident about this than I would about EA buying any other studio of a similar Yeah, fair. I really hope it works out well. Um, Like Titanfall, have heard nothing but good things about Titanfall 2. You liked the beta when we played it. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. Um... I've heard particularly high praise about its uh, single player component. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a bad game. It just the release cycle, like the release date, kind of sucked. But other than that,
0: yeah, it was sandwiched between the two biggest franchises in shooting. Yep, you know it did what it, it had to do.
1: Mm.
0: It was definitely a disruptor,
1: for sure. Yeah,
0: and people liked it, and there will be more. Yeah, I, I so, love the first. I'm excited. So, uh, love. I put probably 100 hours into the first one. Like, I, I really hope that Respawn thrives in this environment and that, you know, their leadership made the right call here because it doesn't seem like they were pressured into it. Um, It seems like they wanted to do this. So, you know, I hope it works out because I think they make really good games and I want to see them make more games. I'm really excited to see what their Star Wars game looks like, um, specifically. And uh, I, I'm really glad that Titanfall is going to get another shot because I think Titanfall is a really unique series and one yeah. that, like... I really fell in love with, you know, um, I remember it came out, I think my senior year of college and it was a time where I didn't have a lot of time for games. And it was the perfect game for me at that point, you know, to just jump in, jump out and just play a few rounds, you know, and you know, I, I want to see Titanfall continue to, uh, exist, you know, at at least get the trilogy, you know, like just make that statement and then maybe move on. Make that statement. Like,
2: the I don't think like they
0: found the quite the right balance yet. You know, yeah, the first one in particular was just so well balanced in terms of like it still definitely had that like bro shooter lanes feel, but oh my god, the movement mechanics and it felt like uh, doing a loadout built around getting your titan out as quick as possible was viable, as was having a like pilot only anti titan loadout. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, you know, I'm interested to see where the franchise goes from here, because I, I I, wonder if the next game's gonna have a, a single-player thing at all, again, because it's, like, I don't know how much that moved the needle for them, and I wonder if, like, the people that were complaining about it really cared that much, you know, like, I feel like it, it hit real big with Games Journos who reviewed it, but... Like, how much did that really matter in terms of Titanfall's bottom line is going to be interesting to me uh, to learn. You know, and I think yeah. what Titanfall 3 looks like will tell us all we need to know about what they learned from Titanfall 1 and 2. So hopefully this will be the, you know, yeah. the, the right move for it. You know, that this will be where we finally get the Titanfall game that I think hits all the right notes for, for its audience. Is Titanfall 3 even a thing in development? Yeah, they confirmed it with the announcement of the acquisition. Great. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because up until then I, I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion it wasn't going to happen. That was like, what I felt was the general feeling in games was that like we're not going to see Titanfall 3. It didn't make enough money. Um, but, yeah, it looks like we're getting at least one more. So it's like the little AAA shooter that could just... <laughs> <laughs> Survives just long enough. (laughs) And then Titanfall 3 becomes the best-selling game of the decade. I'd be about it, dude. I mean, like, it's the only major AAA shooter series that, like, really speaks to me. Uh, You know, like, just because it's different. Yeah. Um, Apparently, the one level in the campaign I've seen compared to, like, Dishonored's Clockwork Mansion and... I forget the one the level from the first game that's like mind blowing level design for Dishonored. I mean, they're all they're all pretty fucking great. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like, but like, I remember the first one having a, a standout like on the level of Clockwork Mansion. To me, I feel like that's the uh, the party. Like that's my favorite level. But I don't know if that's oh, the what party you is a really good level. Um. But yes, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying to make this a dishonored conversation because I love talking <laughs> <laughs> about. I would love to indulge you, but we got to move on. So um, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, so Xbox's head of first party production, Shannon Loftus, had a talk about the culture of secrecy in gaming uh, over with uh, GameSpot's Eddie Ma- Ma- Makush. Makush, I don't know. I'm sorry, Eddie. I really liked your your interview though. Um, So I'm going to read a little bit from it, which is going to transition us into our meat and potatoes discussion this week, because I thought this was a really interesting interview. Um, And uh, I'm always really excited when we get to hear the real high ups, like, be candid about their opinions and not give you the suit and tie speak. Um, So I just, I wanted to let you know what Shannon said here, because I thought it was pretty interesting. So uh, Eddie writes... While movie studios might let fans know about films coming years down the line, for example, we know the fifth Avatar movie is coming in 2025, video game companies are very rarely that transparent when it comes to their release schedules. One part of this culture of secrecy might be for competitive reasons. Announcing a project years in advance could give other studios time to react and respond. But another major element to this is that games and movies are not at all the same in how, we, and how they are produced. Shannon Loftus, who heads up first-party production at Xbox, spoke with GameSpot recently about the culture of secrecy in gaming, when the right time, it is, to, when the right time it is to announce a game, and the pain of cancellations. Games are a highly experimental medium, Loftus said, and it's a line that we have to walk between talking to gamers about the games we would like to make and knowing what we are going to be able to deliver them. The worst part of my job is when I have to break promises – Obviously we had Crackdown 3 planned for a November 7th launch and we had to announce a few months ago that we had to move it. I am very conscious of the fact that that hurt people. Folks were very excited and they got very disappointed and that's not something I like to do. It's back to Eddie. Crackdown 3 is now slated to arrive in 2018. It's a significant loss for Microsoft's holiday 2017 lineup of exclusives. But Microsoft has been quick to point out that its lineup remains strong for this year and beyond. For Crackdown specifically, Loftus said in an interview with Polygon that the game was announced too soon. She told us that for every game announcement, Microsoft considers a number of factors before letting the public know what, is, what it is working on. For every game announcement that we do, we have, we have to decide when is the right time to talk to people about this. How much code do we have to have in place? How much risks do we have to have mitigated? She explained, it gets very mundane around technical risks, and we do have a core mechanic that we like. Many big time studios, and this back to Eddie, many big time studios work this way. But there are, of course, exceptions. For example, Bethesda announced Fallout 4 in June 2016 and releasing it six months later, and the game never got delayed and was a smash hit, surpassing Skyrim sales. Of course, Bethesda was in an enviable position with Fallout 4, given that it was the latest entry in an established series, so Bethesda didn't necessarily need a huge awareness campaign. Charles Randall, who worked at Bioware and Ubisoft, addressed gaming's culture of secrecy in a Twitter post that went viral earlier this year. He said such secrecy exists because of the, toxic, the quote, toxic culture in gaming. Quote, you know why we have to keep what we're doing secret hidden secret from the public? Because of the toxic culture surrounding it, he said. Randall acknowledged that marketing has some role to play in why games are kept a secret for so long, but he still called for letting the public know more about games before release. Quote, God help you if you let any amount of public know any amount of public know what you are working on before it's set in stone, he said. One trend in gaming that is changing things is the early access model. Games can be announced and released before they are even finished, and this can be extremely lucrative. Loftus said Microsoft is, quote, studying that very closely, and the company is already involved in that space with its game review program. It sounds like you can expect further investment in this space for Microsoft going forward. uh, Intriguingly, Loftus said that she would like to see a game developed with, quote, radical transparency, which is pretty far from the norm for Microsoft and other big-name companies. Game design is in general is turning more into a dialogue rather than a monologue and finding ways within our ecosystem and use our oh what what and finding ways within our ecosystem and use our early access program i think that's oh and use our early access program game preview to get gamer input sorry i think is one possibility I think radical transparency is something I would like to I would love to see at some or excuse me I would love to try at some point as a game developer like hey here's 3 takes on a concept which one do you want pretty sure Xbox boss Phil Spencer would be supportive so, Loftus went on to say that she's found that ideas and execution are oftentimes equally weighted in the overall perception of a game. And while she is personally interested in a game that is developed with, again, quote, radical transparency, she stressed that it's not something actively in the works at this time. So, uh, I thought that was incredibly interesting. So, what do you guys think about Loftus' thoughts on this? Um, about, you know, the idea of radical transparency or. Or the lack of transparency in uh, in the games industry. Do you think that like games can learn from other industries like the film industry, or are we just going right into the uh, the mean potatoes? Yeah, here? this is this is it. This is the mean potatoes now. So cool, 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 I cool, want to cool. I want to have a broader discussion about the issue of transparency in game development. Mm-hmm. Um, can I can I jump in for Sean here, and or <laughs> can I not jump in for Sean? Can I say? A thing Sean said a lot, that, like, I want to let game designers design games, I think Radical Transparency, while cool, would be a terrible idea. Agreed. I don't want to play a game designed by gamers. Um,
1: God, no. Oh, God.
0: Yeah. So,
2: uh, you're absolutely right that that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Uh, because this is the games industry <clears throat> is a unique beast in that it's it's really kind of like a young industry, and it became an industry in a time when people are kind of realizing that they have the power to do the things that they want to do, and so people look at games as like, hey, um, I have ideas about how games should be made. I think I know what works or what doesn't in games. I've grown up with games. The high, the highlight of gaming started around when we were born. So we all think we know everything. And that's just not true. Gamers don't know anything. Uh, and it's really frustrating that there's always this conversation about, oh, um, you know, this... This could have been done better, or this doesn't make any sense, or, uh, you know, these developers don't know what they're doing. And it's like, yeah, they do. Just because you don't like something that didn't work in a game doesn't mean that you have any idea about how games are made or how they should be made. And I have no interest at all in what gamers have to say about how games are made. I'm not a developer. Developers should care what gamers have to say, but only on the level that they're weighing the opinion of uneducated people versus their educated opinion as someone who does it for a living. And that would be true across any medium. There is no medium in which I want to see people who don't professionally do this, do it. Unless they're doing it on their own. Unless you're saying, you know what, I know how to make a better game. I'm going my, my own studio, and I'm going to get it done. If you're not doing that, I don't care what you have to say about making games. And I absolutely have no interest in any developer offering us the ability to choose between different types of systems within a game and implementing that. Just show me the game. Make the game and I'll pay you for it. That's it. That's all I want.
0: Yeah, I, I, so to play devil's advocate, I, I, I think that the answer or the best answer depends on the game that you're talking about. Because I think nine times out of ten, I would agree with you guys. Uh, I would say the the game that breaks the rule for me is when you look at um games like like player unknown's battlegrounds right, and the relationship that um specifically you know player unknown himself has with the community at large, you know I think that they do a really good job of what you said, Sean, in that they are constantly having a conversation with their community and they are you know making an effort to have a dialogue with them about what they like about what's going on in the game and what they don't like. And I think, to your point, they weigh the opinion of the community that they have, you know, um, I think pretty fairly, right? Like, when when the community made the point of, like, oh, hey, like, the cars always spawn the same way, so we can tell, like, that thing, and it's like, that's a thing they didn't notice, and that was good feedback that improved the game, Right. And I think that kind of dialogue with your audience, that kind of transparency, I think when you're developing uh, a multiplayer game, especially from an early access position uh, to full launch, when you're a small team with limited resources and limited experience, that I don't think is always necessarily a bad thing as long as the developers are retaining control in the way that you said, right? Like they're balancing uneducated opinions versus educated opinions.
2: Well, let me say games have. Since we've had the internet, always had some kind of forum where there is dialogue. Uh, for as long as I've been playing online games, there's been some capacity to deliver feedback. Right. That's what that's there for. But I play World of Warcraft, and World of Warcraft is. Uh, World of Warcraft is played by people who think that they understand exactly what they want and that Blizzard should cater to their every whim. And what happens in WoW, and one the problems in WoW, is that when the developers try to do that, those very same people are still unhappy. And the reason is because they don't actually know what they want. They have no idea what they want. And you can't provide people with specifically what they say they want because a lot of times they don't understand the complexities of game development. And... In some instances, like quality of life situations or situations that just make it more interesting, like what you said about where the cars spawn, that's that makes sense, and that's one of those where I would kind of argue, uh, well, maybe the developers should do their homework more and catch stuff like that. But because the game is in early access and because they're a small team, I could let that go. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want situations like what happened in WoW. Where it feels like the developers are always playing catch up with the community because the community, the developers take X amount of months to develop something, right? The community gets it and consumes it like that. Yeah. Real quick. There's no way to keep up with that timeline. It's not possible. And so you shouldn't try, is my perspective. Because if the gamers actually understood what made games best, they would make games, but they don't.
0: And they can't. So let's let the developers do that job. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's a really salient point. Um, and I think I think the key there for me, right, the difference comes down to the game and the community. Is that like with WoW, WoW's a huge game made by some of the most experienced developers in the industry with a huge audience. And it's impossible for them to cater to all those people or, you know... um, Give everybody what they want, right? And I think with something like PUBG or, uh, or like Rocket League is another great example of a, a big game with a big audience. Not a huge audience and a small team that has an intimate connection to that audience. And I think in terms of asking their their players what they want to keep them engaged – uh, I think sometimes can work out, and I think those two games are great examples of that. But to me, I think it totally comes down to the development team. Is that like PUBG Corp and Psionics are both really small teams, and for them, like because they're small, they're more agile. They're they're more able to react to what their fan base asks for and try to do it. And if it doesn't work out, to continue iterating until it does work. You know. Whereas, like, with WoW, like, your point, right? Like, they work on on these things kind of in a silo for, like, you know, months, years, because they're huge, huge pieces of content. Um, And to them, like you said, they make it, people consume it, and then they complain about it. And it's not as easy for them to move a ship that big. Whereas, like, if you're talking about small iterative changes to a game that's constantly evolving uh, in small ways instead of in major patches that's a totally different conversation. And I think it's it's interesting to see how different, like, how different, or I guess, how much range there is between development styles at this point in game design.
2: I'd like to point out one more example. Uh, so I've, I've obviously been playing a lot of Injustice 2 lately. And Injustice 2, the community is full of people who just hate everything. Uh, and they... They basically want to see every character that isn't their own nerfed. They want, they, want, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they want NRS to take away the strength of the characters in the game that are really good. Uh, and if NRS, who have the capacity to, because when you're talking about fighting games in particular, damage, health, uh, uh, frame frame data, all that stuff is lobbed her for the most part, you could release a patch relatively quickly to reduce the damage that a character does, if you felt like. Sure. So if they they reacted to every whim of the community that plays this game, you would have a monster. Because not only are you altering the game way too rapidly for anyone to really get a hold on what the meta really is, but on top of that, you're allowing the Uh, inmates surround the asylum, for lack of a better phrase. (laughs) You're allowing the people who are supposed to be the consumers to become the creators, and when you do that, you have situations where, oh, well, I don't like uh Batman, so let's make him unplayable, because that's balance in their minds. And they don't understand what balance is. Oh, I lost a game, so now I just hate Superman. Please alert him to the ground, right? That's why developers, especially developers who develop competitive games cannot react that way. And that's why uh the the community to developer pipeline in terms of communication is great, but there has to be a lot of careful uh parsing of the comments from the community to remove the emotional reactions and only look at the reasonable responses that people have to things in the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I think it all comes down to that. And I think that is not only based on the developer, it's based on the community. You know, if, if the community is particularly, uh, like, there are some communities that are toxic and some that are less so. You know, like, from my experience, um, pretty anecdotally, because I'm not like deeply invested in this community, I don't see a lot of toxicity from Rocket League players. They seem to have a really good line of communication with Psyonix, they love the game, and. They often, you know, make suggestions about content they'd like to see, and then Psionics makes some of that content, right? And I feel like that's reasonable. I think when it is things that are more reactionary of, like, things that don't have to do with balance of, or of the game, right? Like, that seems reasonable to be like, oh, we would love to see a mode like this. We would love to play a thing like this. And if they think that that's a thing that they want to try, great. Um, but when it comes to, like, balance and stuff like that, yeah, I'm totally with you because... People who play the game, unless they're really at a top-tier competitive level, they don't even really understand that shit, you know? Because, like, it's, like, I could say from my own experience, right, of, like, you know, Andy and I both love League of Legends, right? We've been playing League of Legends for years. We don't know shit about League of Legends on a high-tier level, and, like, things that are broken in our garbage ELO don't fucking matter on a grand world scale. You know, the best characters at that level of play are not necessarily the best characters at our level of play.
2: True. That's a that's an excellent point. And the in, in your example, Riot has to ask, is this is this character broken or is this character overpowered enough that we need to regulate them for the lower players to be able to have an enjoyable experience? Um Genji in Heroes of the Storm is a great example of a character that's really, really good but has almost no impact on what happens in Hero League or Team League play prior to, like, Platinum because players are so bad that they don't know how to pull anything out of that character. That, so no one complains because no one really experiences but the top-level players how good that character is. Yes. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of of deep balancing that goes into this stuff that players just don't understand.
0: Uh, Riot's talked a lot about how they have to balance the game to keep it, like, good and fun around, like, top level play. Which I think is really smart because it, like, lets a meta shake out and develop versus, like, uh, making the pros react to bronzies as it were. Yeah. Like us. And... I think that letting the, you know, by design, roughly half of the people who play Ranked League are in bronze. And so, like, by design, letting the minor or majority dictate the terms of balance would be terrible. Because it's like, no, Master Yi's not broken. You just don't know how to play against him. <laughs> right. You just don't understand how this mechanic works and you're not taking the time to learn it because you don't really care about being good at the game. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, you know, I, I really think there was that one um, quote, you know, that we had from um, from Shannon that really spoke to me. It was when she said that, like, game design is becoming more of a dialogue and less of a monologue. Right? And I think that's interesting. And I, I think maybe that has its, its time and place. But I think, like, there are so many scenarios um, beyond even the shit that we've outlined here that show that that's not a good thing, you know? Well, we've talked about Star
2: Wars Battlefront 2 a lot lately, and that's an example of a game that has had early access, and, or I guess beta, right? and they made changes based on player feedback that was completely reasonable, yep. 110% reasonable. And so, that is an example of when I would agree with this statement, but... The reason I guess why I'm having this reaction is because the statement implies that there's more uh there's more that the community should have power over than just instances like that. And I disagree. I think that the community has as much power as it's supposed to, which is, hey, that right there is no good. That's not good for us. That's not a good uh value for us. We don't want that. Yeah. You know, I'm not paying for that. That's enough. Other than that, develop your game and let it be judged on the market. I don't want to choose my own adventure for the next Spider-Man game. Don't present to me three different villains that I can choose to be the main villain of the game. Tell your story and let it be good or not be good and we'll judge it there.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Um, I will say, though, I think the way that she talks about it, too, where she's like, that's something I would like to try... Um, I think it could be an interesting project. I think something like that could be interesting uh, for, like, one game. It's not a thing I want to see seep into game development as a whole at all. Um, Particularly in regard to non-multiplayer experiences. Because I feel like that's one of the few places where player feedback's actually worthwhile at high-level play. You know, of that, like, how can you really understand the real intricacies of how the things that you've created are being used unless you listen to the people that are playing at the highest level. Um, but those people are informed. You know, like, that's a totally different thing than, like, Joe Schmo who plays Injustice 2 or League of Legends. That's somebody whose job it is to play this fucking game. And I think you can make the argument that there are people like that who understand the game on a fundamental level in the same way that some of the people that make it do. And maybe not on the same level, but in a way that I think is valuable uh for the betterment of the the experience overall
2: absolutely, and there are also people that are not even close to that level who can also understand sure I guess sure. what what I'm specifically talking about is that just on the whole, gamers don't have the knowledge to really understand why things work for them or why they don't um and in some instances they do in some instances, they don't. And it, it, it's on the developer to understand those instances. I mean, look, player feedback is always something you should listen to or hear. Whether or not it it ends up impacting your game is a case-by-case uh, situation, and it should always be judged on its merits.
0: Yeah. 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 I absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, although, to push back a little bit against your... Um I don't want to choose my own Spider-Man adventure. I think for something like when the game launches, if they were to do a like, hey, we're going to do a DLC, but we haven't decided like where we're going with the story yet. Which one of these villains would you like to see, you know, featured would be really cool. I think stuff like that could definitely work in uh on a again, on a case by case basis, right? Like if the main narrative of the Spider Man game's already been told and they're like, We have three stories that we're ready to go forward on, but we're not sure which one. What are you guys yeah. most interested in? Yeah, that'd be great. If you have three unique visions and you're gonna give me the option, okay. Um, I could I could see something like that being cool. Yeah. So
2: the first fighter pack for Injustice 2, the three characters that made it in are the top three most requested characters from Injustice One that didn't make it? In the it's game. Like that's great. So that Perfect. yeah, all that kind of stuff is fun. That's fan service. I think that has its place. So in your example, Andy, yeah, sure. That like if you're gonna if you're gonna if it's a full game already that's out, and then you're saying, hey, we want to do some DLC, but we want it to be something that all you guys are going to be really excited about. So why don't you go ahead and vote for your favorite villain? That could be cool. But check it out. If you allow us to vote for our favorite villain and then my favorite villain doesn't get chosen, do I buy your DLC?
0: Maybe. Maybe.
2: Right. But now, whereas before, I would have just bought it outright, now you've given me a choice and because my choice didn't get chosen, now I'm pissed and I'm not going to buy your game. So it's like so... There's so much to that. It's so intricate. And that's why I feel like developers really have to make smart decisions in every single instance to not alienate their players but also
0: not give them too
2: much power over the game
0: yeah i think that's a really great point and i think that that speaks to that uh tweet we quoted earlier right where where it talked about the gaming community being toxic and i think i i regularly talk about the the problem i see of gamer entitlement right and i think um this could easily be a hotbed for giving them even more of that of like well I was key in the development of this game. You owe me something, you know? Like, yep. And we already have that fucking attitude about being owed things, you know? And like, uh, and I I think even, like, you know, I'm the one throwing stones, and I've been guilty of that, too, right? Of, like, EA canceled a game I wanted, and I was like, oh, I wanted to play that! Oh, I'm yeah. mad! You know, and Andy and I, like, were mad about it, and we fucking complained, bitched them out, you know? And, like, like, we're not immune to these fucking problems either, you know. We've been complaining about Nintendo for a year that they didn't put VOD stuff on the fucking Switch, and it's like, okay, but like, you know, like we're, we're bitching and moaning about a thing that we feel like they owe us. And I think giving gamers more power consistently is definitely not a good idea.
2: <laughs> yeah, and this is the this is the only industry where it's like this. I mean, every industry has people who are who feel they're entitled, but. I've never seen it to this degree where
0: you're giving gamers power over the game that they play. The one – again, just to push back on that a little bit for fun. Do do you see any parallel there between what what we've been talking about over on the comics, pals, with this stuff with Marvel? With the whole thing of like, oh – Nobody likes these diverse new characters. Let's bring back all the old ones. And I know that it's like that's kind of a fake narrative around it. But like there is the thing of like people want legacy characters, so we're bringing back legacy characters.
2: Yeah, I think I think um, there's a lot of na naivete there, not on you, but on people who didn't think that that was always going to happen. Yeah, right, right. Um,
0: as we've talked about time and time again. <laughs>
2: Right. So, like, all the whining and complaining was for not because it was inevitable. And the reason why I don't think that that's a fair comparison is because Secret Empire happened. They told that story. They didn't cancel it. They didn't pivot. It was Nick Spencer's story from beginning to end, no matter
0: how many people
2: hated it. And
0: I respect that. That's fair. I guess uh, the interesting wrinkle there is I think it's a little harder to do that, um with games in general to make your statement of like, well, this is my game, and if you don't like it, don't play it, because it's like, that could be the only game you ever make then, you know? Or like, that could be the thing that puts your studio under or whatever.
2: Well, I mean, you know, you run risks in every scenario. Uh, Comic books books operate on very thin margins, and events are typically the thing that you're banking everything on. Yeah. Marvel's not going to fold if Secret Empire does badly, but that can significantly impact Your sales, especially when you're talking about something as significant as Captain America being an agent of HYDRA. So that's that's a massive risk. And Marvel is still feeling the effects of that right now in terms of sales. So I wouldn't say that that's a small choice that they made. And in gaming, you're always operating on the thinnest of margins. And the one thing that will help you survive more than anything else is artistic integrity. And if you're always chasing trends and you're chasing trying to please people, you, will, you might please the 30 guys on Twitter that complained about this one aspect of your game. But what about the, the thousands of people who loved it that
0: you now alienate? And I, I think that's a huge problem too, man, honestly, because I think I look at like, um, you know, like Titanfall, right? And like, there's all these people who said, oh, we, you know, we wanted a first player campaign in Titanfall. And it's like, did that many more people show up for Titanfall because of that? It doesn't really seem that way. You know, it seemed like a vocal minority that we were trying to answer. And I think more than most industries, I think gamers, like, are shit detectors or, like, always ready. You know, like, we're, we're very, like, quick to call people out on chasing a trend or doing some, like, you know, derivative bullshit. Uh, even sometimes more so than is, like, fair. You know, so, like, I definitely agree with you that, like, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's not easy to get away with that kind of thing. It happens once in a while. Like, you have Fortnite in their Battle Royale mode that they lifted from PUBG bit straight up, but it worked, and people liked it, so that's fine. But for that, you have that, like, whole age of fucking MOBAs, right, where every fucking, everyone was trying to make a MOBA and get it on that League of Legends money, and everyone was just kind of like, I don't need these games. I have a MOBA. Like, we already have a George.
2: Sure, and then but I would also submit to you that sometimes in an, in, an, in an industry where uh game development cycles can be years long i don't think this applies necessarily to the mobas but i think in some cases there are instances where well damn our game just took longer to get to the party but yep. we started putting it together around the same time these guys did they just hit earlier yep.
0: or or again we weren't aping at all right right and or like when there's the reactionary stuff of like oh like skyron's the big thing everyone's gonna make open world games and then you're getting open world games for like 4 or 5 years or 6 years because that's how long it takes to make a game like that and like that trend is already maybe over you know but we're still getting all these games that nobody's really interested in anymore and so my
2: final thought is that game developers need a break and people need to leave them alone and let them make their games and if you like it then great support that and let them know if you don't
0: then let them know but don't be a douche about it yeah yeah Sean I I think that's really well said and um, I, I feel like that's a perfect place to wrap up the conversation here unless you have anything to add, Andy. No, I um I basically agree with both of you, to be honest. Um, like, I made my, my earlier statement about not wanting to play a game designed by gamers, and I stand by that. But, like, I think balancing multiplayer around feedback from the community is good. I, like, I, I really just... Don't have much to say that hasn't already been said. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think it, you know, like many things in life, it all comes down to communication. Yeah. So, uh, as you guys have probably noticed, uh, Peggy got dipped out, like, kind of right as we started our uh, main topic, which is great for our first main episode. But, um, <laughs> Good job, <Peggy>. <laughs> yeah, right? You. She's fucking killing it on her first day. So, um, (laughs) we, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, she had to dip out, but she will be with us again next week. So, um, you know, you can, you know, uh, hear more from her then. But, um, all right, guys, so that's going to wrap up the conversation here in episode 29 of the Video Game Pals. Uh, if you'll remember, you can connect with us by emailing us at thevideogamepals at gmail.com. Uh, you can connect with us on social media at thecomicspals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, we're also, you know, each of us are on Twitter. You can go get our handles in the description down below if you want to reach out to us individually. Um, and then, you know, please check out some of our other shows. We've got Comics Pals posting the day before, the Video Game Pals on whatever your platform of choice is. We've got uh, Pals Play Monday through Friday on YouTube. And uh, we've got that eSports special that went up today if you guys want to catch more of Peggy and Sean talking about all the hotness that's going on this year in the world of eSports. Uh, so that should be uh, that should be it, I think, right? That's, that's all the plugs. That's, I yeah. think, except your hair plugs. You didn't mention those.
2: Ooh, <laughs> <Woo>, got 'em! <him.
0: laughs> All right, so we'll see you guys next week. Love you. Goodbye. you. Take care. Take care.